1011. Thank you, Andy. 1011, the Gospel of Mark. Um, and we're going to begin in uh, verse 1. Uh, now, just to, to, to remind us of the context um, as, we, as we come back to visit uh, Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Um, Jesus, we saw last time, has been teaching uh, the Pharisees. And if you remember, he was, be, he was discussing the dangers of legalism. And if you'll remember, legalism is, is kind of man's attempt, man's effort by trying to keep rules to either uh, win salvation from God or to keep God's favor. Um, and so Jesus has finished that. He's, uh, he's healed at the very end of chapter 7, beginning of verse 31. Uh, he's encountered a man who was deaf and mute, unable to hear or speak. And Jesus has miraculously healed him. And now you and I pick up at uh, verse 1, chapter 8. And Mark records for us the following. Now, during those days, another large crowd gathered. And since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. And his disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Well, how many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. And he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and give thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. And they had a few small fish as well, and he gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. And afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And about 4,000 were present. And after he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmutha. Now the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. And he sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to bring the bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And they discussed this with one another and said, It's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember, uh, when I broke the loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And they answered, seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? So they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on them, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? 
And he looked up and said, well, I see people and they look like trees walking around. And so once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home saying, do not even go into the village. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you um, that we have uh, a true record of uh, things you said, Jesus, and things you did as the servant king. And now, uh, Lord Jesus, as we spend just a few moments in your word reflecting on how wonderful you are as our king, we uh, pray, as always, that you would speak to us through your word. Uh, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our minds and give us understanding of your word. We pray and ask, Holy Spirit, that you would soften our hearts, that we would be changed and transformed by your word, and just humbly ask that you would speak to us now, your people. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. When Mark chapter 8, we get to see Jesus, the servant king, and we, we get to see Jesus in action. We get to see Jesus at work. Um, and and I think it's so fitting, um, I, just as I was reading through the passage the last week and a half, just thinking, oh, Lord, how wonderful you are and how wonderful at Christmas time we're reminded that, Jesus, you came as the Messiah, the anointed one, the king, and we get to see you in action. And we see three simple truths about Jesus at work as the servant king. And here they are for us. Number one, we see this. That as the servant king, Jesus had compassion for those around him. As the servant king, Jesus had compassion for those around him. He says this in verse 3. He says, I have compassion for these people, for they have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. <clears throat> now, let, let me remind us, just for the sake of clarity, Jesus has, has done a miracle similar to this. Um, already. If, if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, you remember that earlier in the Gospel of Mark, there were around 5,000 who were with him. Another Gospel writer says that it was just 5,000 men, so that doesn't even count the women and children. But earlier, Jesus had already fed 5,000. And do you remember how that transpired? Remember there was a little boy there who had a packed lunch. Jesus took what was in that packed lunch he blessed it, he multiplied it, and, uh, and he fed 5,000. Now, this is, is a different time. He's doing this miracle a second time. And so uh, the, the, the situation is similar in that there's a large crowd. There's, there's nowhere relatively easy to get to to get to food, right? There's, there's not a Tesco Express or somewhere they can just pop to to get food, and so Jesus recognizes that there's this need, that the people have a need. And so he says, I have compassion for these people. Look at verse 2 in your Bible. He says, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Well, well why does that matter? Well, you have to look at verse 3. Jesus says, for if I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. We have to remember, we're talking about a culture where they, they don't ride horses, they, they don't ride animals. I mean, these would be folks who would be walking everywhere. 
And so you would have to be well-nourished. You have to be in good physical condition. And Jesus says, listen, we've been here three days, and, and no one's had anything to eat. And, and physically, this journey is just going to be too hard. And there's this beautiful word there. He says, I have compassion. If you'll remember, there's another instance in the Gospels where it says that Jesus goes into a village, and it says they bring to him all of their sick and demon-possessed, all of them. Can you imagine? Just just rolls in to a town, and everyone who is sick comes to Jesus. By the thousands, everyone who's demon-possessed. And if you remember, the Bible says Jesus sees them and has compassion for them, for they are like sheep without a shepherd, Jesus says. It's the same word, and it's a, it's a really interesting word in the Greek, this idea of compassion. And it, it literally means this in our Bible. It means to be moved by sympathy and pity. Um, uh, not to be disrespectful or to be too graphic, but it's actually the Greek word for a bowel movement. Now, that sounds so weird to us, but because they believed that the center of the heart, the center of the heart as far as like emotion and compassion, they said was in the bowels, right? And so every culture is different. Maybe we've never thought about that before. Uh, I, was, uh, I was speaking to some colleagues of ours who uh, serve in a remote part of Africa, and they were telling us that, that uh, as, as they had been there for a good while and were building some really good relationships, said that one day he was having a chat with a gentleman and, uh, and he just was telling him how much he appreciated uh, my friend. And, and this African gentleman said, man, I just, like, I just love you like from my kidneys. And, uh, and my friend was like, okay, like, yeah. And he went home and he, you know, and he was asking about that. And this is, uh, it was, it's a pretty remote tribe. Um, uh, they're like two weeks out from like phones or running water or anything like that. And and so uh, he, he said it wasn't until later that I learned that in their culture, you don't love someone with all your heart, you love someone with all your kidneys. Because you have two, you can love even more, amen? Right? And so he did have a laugh. He thought, I just envision like kids at school exchanging like Valentine's cards that had like pictures of kidneys on the front of them or something. <laughs> you know, they don't do that. But, but see, we take for granted every culture is different. In this culture... It wouldn't be, I love you with all my heart. It would be the bowels. Because for them, the bowels are at the innermost of the human body. And so this idea of compassion is to be moved from my inner core. Yeah? From my inner being, I am moved to sympathy and pity. To sympathy and pity. And and, and don't miss this. And, and of course, we see here, it's not just feeling sorry for someone. Right? When we think of sympathy and apathy, I mean, that's not just feeling bad for someone, but genuine sympathy is is being able, don't miss this, to, to appreciate someone's position to the point that you're moved to action. To be so moved by someone's situation that we are moved to do something about it, right? And so it's not just to, to look at someone who's sleeping rough when it's, when it's minus three out it's not just to walk past them and feel sorry for them. No, no, no. Compassion is to, to somehow try to feel what they feel, to experience what they experience, that we might be moved to do something about their situation. Are you with me? 
to, to, to be moved. It's not just to walk by and say, oh, what a shame. That must really be, that must really be hard. No, no. It, it, it's to, if you will, and, and I think we see this with Jesus a lot, it's being willing to feel what someone else feels. It's being willing to be vulnerable enough to experience what they experience and feel what they feel. And so if they feel shame, you feel shame with them. If they feel lonely, you feel lonely with them. If they feel hopeless, you feel hopeless with them. It's being willing to be vulnerable enough to do what Jesus did. That is to fill someone else's pain that we might be moved to help them. To fill someone else's pain that we might be moved to help them. And this is the phrase compassion. So watch this. Jesus, look back at your Bible, says, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days, right? So the disciples are always a bit like, we'll just send them on their way. Now, they'll be okay, you know, right? That's what he did with the 5,000, didn't he? He's like, ah, come on, Jesus, they'll be all right. Pat, pat, off you go, right? So Jesus doesn't just go, man, I bet these folks are really hungry. All right, guys, let's load up. Let's pack up. Time to go, right? Jesus is moved with compassion, so he doesn't just feel sorry for them, but he's moved to do what? To action. He's moved to action. And can I just say, by the way, listen carefully, the way he does that now is through the church. The way Jesus does this now is through the church. It's one of the reasons that local church exists. It's one of the reasons local church exists. Can I submit something to you? And, and, and we can all be equally offended by this. The reason, the reason that the social structure and the reason that social care is in such a mess in the UK and in such a mess in the United States and other places is because it's somewhere along the way the church stopped doing what the church was called to do and the church passed it over to the government and the government can never do what God called the church to do. Let me say that again. A reason social care is often in a mess is because we, as the people of God, have handed over to the government to do a job that God called us to do. And here's the amazing thing you will see over and over. Nonprofit charities always will be more effective at doing things because, and when I say that, I mean Christian organizations, Christian groups. Listen, for for over a thousand years now, Christians have been feeding the poor. Christians have been tending to the sick. The very first hospitals were were run by monasteries. The first feeding programs were were run by, you know, uh, what are the places where nuns live? Started to say a nunnery. A nunnery. Nunneries where they make them, convents where they live. Sorry, right? But here's what we know, though. Listen, guys. God's called us. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, I was hungry and you fed me. Now, who's the you that Jesus is speaking to there in Matthew 24 and 25? Speaking to the church. He separates separates them from the sheep and the goats, and he's talking to the sheep, the church. And he says, I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was naked, and you clothed me. I I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And they say, but Lord, when? 
Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? And when did we see you naked and clothe you? Lord, when did we do that? And Jesus says, when you did it to the least of my brethren, you did it unto me. Jesus doesn't say I was naked and the labor party clothed me. He doesn't say I was hungry and the Democrats fed me. He says it was the church. Amen? He says it was the church. And so we are his hands and we are his feet. Amen? Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of the Father. Like, that's where he is, making intercession for you and me. He's praying for us as we do the work he called us to do. Let me say that again, because how great is that? Jesus is praying for his church as we do the work he's called us to do. The servant king, Jesus, had compassion for those around him. Secondly, we see this, that as the servant king, Jesus not only showed compassion, but he showed concern for those around him. He showed concern for those around him. And this is just an extension of what we had already seen. But he says they had a few small fish as well, and he gave thanks for them and also told the disciples to distribute them. And the people ate. And then I love that Mark puts this in there. They ate and were satisfied. I love that. Like like anything Jesus does is just satisfactory. Amen? Amen. Like, it just satisfies the soul. That's how I mean that. Like, it, like yes. So he, he says, if you drink of living water, you'll never thirst again. I'm the bread of life, right? You'll never be hungry again. Like, he completely satisfies. And if there's anything at all that exists in the world we live in, it is a culture of dissatisfaction. Amen? I, I'm going to break it to all of, all of the new parents. Um, uh, you will be so excited about Christmas and you will get your kids amazing toys and you will open them on Christmas morning at 1030 and they will be dissatisfied by 1045. Amen, parents? Because our human condition is dissatisfaction. In our human state, we want more, we want newer, we want what they have, right? But here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. Jesus that when we experience the servant king and when we give our lives to follow him, we experience a soul satisfaction that nothing else can provide. Right? Why, why, why does anyone do anything? wants to be satisfied. Why does anyone start to take heroin? What a crazy thing. Why would you even start? And, and in our America, a lot of what I did was drug and alcohol counseling. I can tell you two things. No one ever thought when they were little, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a heroin addict. Never met that person, ever. No one ever wrote a paper when they were in year four, when I grow up, I want to be on crystal meth. I can also say that anyone I ever met with in 13 years of counseling, that whatever it was they were addicted to, that their initial experience with it was always one of pain and dissatisfaction and believing a lie that taking this will bring me satisfaction or bring into my pain. And what we know is anything the enemy offers to handle our pain only multiplies it. Anything the enemy tries to give us to deal with our pain only multiplies it. 
But Jesus provides a soul satisfaction that nothing and no one else can. Amen, Christians? And so Jesus has concern for them. The people ate and they are satisfied. And this idea of concern is that that it's important to someone. Something, if I'm concerned about the environment, like that's important to me, right? Um, if, If I'm concerned about an issue, that's something that is important to me, right? And so I then become involved directly. And so the idea is Jesus, his concern, that it matters to him. People matter to Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Like people matter to Jesus. Jesus knows you by name. The Bible says he knows the very number of hairs on your head. Jesus loves you. That's beautiful. Look at the people around your table and just say to one another, Jesus loves you. Go. Now say it again, but go, no, seriously, he really loves you. Tell him again. Say, no, seriously, he really, really loves you. Yeah. Now, can, can I say, can I, can I just say, can I just say, I don't know what you're going to do for the rest of the day, but I know this, that's the best news you'll hear all day. That's the best news you'll hear all day. Jesus loves you. I, I, I imagine he is a lovely, lovely man, but King Charles will never know that I exist. But King Jesus was waiting on me to wake up this morning so we could talk. That's pretty great. Not because of who I am, but because of who he is. He's that good of a king. He's concerned about you. He's concerned about that situation that you just can't get resolution about. He's concerned about your marriage. He's concerned about your kids, your grandkids. He's concerned about your friends. He's concerned about your schoolwork. He's Concerned about making sure you have enough to eat and a warm roof over your head. He is concerned about you. And it's not that he just looks down from heaven as some impotent God who says, I wish there was something I could do. But he, as the servant king, has all authority and power, and he provides for his people. He is moved with compassion and moved with concern. Amen? But then lastly, we see this about the servant king. We see his compassion and his concern, but uh, we see this. As the servant king, uh, Jesus had compassion for those around him. He showed concern for those around him, but we can't overlook this. As the servant king, Jesus proclaimed condemnation on some of those around him. That Jesus proclaimed condemnation on some of those around him. It it is extremely humorous to me what begins to happen after they feed uh, after they feed the four thousand. They get into a boat and uh, and they cross over right and and so they're in the boat and then notice what happens. Look at verse fourteen. Uh, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Now don't miss. I think. Just the humor of this, like they just saw Jesus feed 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread. Is that right? Now, have you ever forgotten to take your lunch somewhere or forgotten to take food money, right? And so in the rush to leave, and they've just had this amazing time, and they have baskets full of leftovers, right? And they get in the boat and they realize, Peter, did you not get that basket? Did you... 
Well, no, James said he was going to. I didn't say, John, you said you're going to do it, right? And all of a sudden, they begin to have a meltdown because they don't have anything to eat. Now, don't miss a few things here. Number one, they just ate. Are, 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 you, are you still with the Bible? Say amen. They just ate. So how hungry can you be, right? And so they're panicking about, about food, but they can't be hungry. They just ate more than they, as a matter of fact, they had more than they needed. They get in the boat, and then they, they begin to try to figure out what they're going to do. Now, they have seen personally, with their own eyes, they have seen Jesus feed a minimum of 9,000 people with a little bit of food. True? They have been there. They didn't read about it like we're doing. They were there. They saw Jesus feed 9,000 people, and now they're in full panic mode in the boat because we're all going to starve to death. There's a little bit of that in me sometimes. Sometimes I can be so panicked about tomorrow that I totally forget the amazing thing God did yesterday. Can I say that again? Sometimes... I become so freaked out about the future, it's like I don't even remember the 9,000 Jesus fed yesterday. Yeah? And so Jesus says, be careful. And he warns them. And he says, uh, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Now, Jesus is figuring, hey, if if you guys are just going to argue about bread, I might as well turn this into a teaching opportunity, right? Right? And so look at verse 14. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. In verse 16, they discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread, right? He he must really be mad. He's like, you know, we really blew it, right? Like they're still not connecting, right? And Jesus... I love this, aware of their discussion, right? Knowing they're idiots, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread, right? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? Don't you remember? Don't you remember? Remember what? Don't you remember that I fed 4,000? Don't you remember that I fed 5,000? Don't you remember the, the, I was just with someone who was deaf and couldn't speak and I healed them. Don't you remember who I am? Come on, guys, don't you remember? And as, as, as quick as I want to judge the disciples, I, I'm reminded in my own heart how quickly I forget who Jesus is. And sometimes I just think I, I was I was uh, I was coming through uh, Aston not long ago, and it just happened to be a Friday. And I was going through, and 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 the mosques were coming out, and and uh, and I was just praying for men as they were coming out one of the mosques there, and uh, and, and Aston, and just oh Lord, would you bless them, and would you work, and would you save them? And then I just has this sense of oh, but Lord, that that's too big a ask. Lord, you can't do that. And the Lord said to my heart, but Kenny, don't you? Remember, our, 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 our daughter, we, we, we leave tomorrow to go see our daughter, and I haven't seen her in nine months. And, and sometimes I lay in bed at night, and I pray for her, and I miss her, and I'm like, Lord, is she okay? And is everything all right? And the Lord will say to my heart, Kenny, don't you remember? 
And sometimes I look at our bills and I look at the income and the outcome and I say, oh my. And the Lord says, but Kenny, don't you remember? Don't you remember who I am? Don't you remember what I've done? Don't you remember? But then he speaks a word of condemnation. And he speaks it to the Pharisees and to Herod. And he says, watch out for these. And he's already said to the Pharisees in verse 12, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. And and Jesus speaks condemnation to these two groups. One we saw last time. It was the Pharisees. And it's to their hypocrisy, to their self-righteousness, and to their false teaching. Uh, this, This belief that they were somehow better than everyone else. This belief that somehow by keeping their own rules that uh, they could earn favor with God and teaching others to do likewise. Jesus speaks condemnation upon their false teaching. And then Jesus mentions uh, Herod. And uh, if you'll remember, Herod is the one who had Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, his closest closest relative. Uh, He had him beheaded. Uh, because of a teenage girl who could dance really well. If you missed that, go to the website and listen to that, right? Uh, Jesus uh, experienced that loss. That was Herod. Herod is a nasty, nasty piece of work as you work through the Gospels. And what we see in the life of Herod is he represents immorality and corruption. Immorality and corruption. Certainly two words we could use to describe Western culture today immorality, and corruption. I read recently that around 2% of the population of the planet owns about 90% of all its resources. About 2% of the population own about 90% of the stuff. Can I just say, in, in the day and age we live in, there is no excuse that anyone on this globe should ever die of hunger. There's no excuse. It's inexcusable. Like, there's no reason that there's still people in countries who die of diseases that people in the West haven't had in generations. It's inexcusable, right? And so there is injustice all around us. And Jesus speaks to the injustice of the world. And he is a just and good king. And so he comes as one with compassion and with concern, but then he speaks condemnation, uh, not to us, but to our sinfulness. Amen. So uh, I want us to finish just by asking some, uh, some questions of one another, some things to think about. And, uh, and, and this is a bit of our homework assignment. We used to do this, and I want to get back to doing this, um, because how do we apply this? Well, uh, here's some questions related to each one. Number one, in my heart... How do I respond when I see others in need? In my heart, how do I respond when I see others in need? Uh, I was over visiting with our neighbor Keith once. Keith is uh, probably at the time was in his late 70s. Uh, Keith is kind of a cantankerous old brummy, born and raised here. And uh, and Keith likes to have a, a good grumble. And so I would go over and we would just grumble about things together. And I was over visiting with Keith one day and Keith said, well, how's, uh, how's your week been? And it just so happened that week, some friends of ours had their car stolen. 
I said, yeah, it's been all right. And I said, yeah, and some friends of ours had their car stolen. And he goes, probably the Albanians. And I said, I'm sorry, Keith? And he went, it was the Albanians. And I went, really? Like, how, how do you know that? And he's like, yeah, I just figure it's them. And I said, do you know a lot of Albanians? He's like, no, but they just seem like the people, kind of people would steal a car. And I'm like, Keith, have, have you ever had an Albanian steal your car? He's like, well, not yet. Right? And I went away, and I, you know, I kind of lightly rebuked him. I'm like, you know, Keith, let's be nice to all people. But I went away. Let me tell you what happened later that week. I'm walking in city center, and I pass someone who's begging for money. And in a flash, the first thought that crossed my heart was, they'll just take the money and buy drugs. That crossed my heart. And Jesus was like, really? And are the Albanians going to steal your car too? I wonder how often in our heart, sometimes my first response to someone in need shows what's really going on in my heart. Well, they, they're just in trouble all the time. Why, why help them? Are you, are you with me? If, if you don't do that, praise the Lord. Because I do. I can be judgmental in my heart. Instead of my, my first thought of my heart being, ah, oh, I want to sympathize with them, and I, I, want to, I want to feel this pain with them, and I want to then be moved to do something to help them, sometimes the first thought of my heart might be to be critical or to be judgmental or whatever it might be. And so I want to ask myself this week, like, Lord, in my heart, how do I respond when I see the needs of others? And, Lord, I want you to help me respond the way you would right? Like, Lord, help me to respond the way you would, right? Uh, Here's a second question for us. In what ways can I begin to show concern for those in need? In what ways can I begin to show concern for those in need? So we're moving from just feeling to doing. Like, Lord, I want to feel compassion, but then, Lord, I want to do something. So what is something we could do? So I read recently, it's an estimate But the estimation is that just in Birmingham City Center, there are 10,000 homeless people. 10,000 in Birmingham City Center. And and I I had this time last night. I was reading my Bible last night and was just thinking about that. I was praying for people out in the cold, um, and I think it's right we do that. But but then just because I knew these questions would come up, I just thought, all right, but it's great. Yeah, pray, but then what am I going to do? Like, how, what, what can I do? Like, could I fill up some thermoses full of, you know, soup? And could a bunch of us guys go down two or three nights and, you know, set out about midnight and just walk the streets and have cups and hot soup and just give hot soup to people? How many blankets do we have at the Dubnick house that don't get used? Like, could I just pile up a bunch of blankets and just go down to city center and just walk around and, and see who needs a blanket, and here's a blanket, and here's some soup? Like, And then I thought last night, there is literally nothing in the world to prevent me from doing that. I don't need the government's permission. I don't need any permission. Like, I can just go tonight and take blankets to people who are sleeping rough in minus three. Now, I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty, like, but I'm saying that for all of us, that like, what are some ways 
we can we can move from just feeling to doing, right? And it, it might just be there's someone on our street, and we know they've been made redundant. It's been a hard year, and maybe we just need to to put a hundred pounds or uh, ten pounds or five pounds or whatever we have, it and just drop it through the mail slot. They don't need to know it came from us. Just drop it through there and be blessed to help provide your Christmas, whatever it might be. But are, are you back to me? It, it, it's not the government's primary job to do those things. In fact, in the Bible, Paul says the primary job of the government is to protect the people, right? He says the government rules with a sword. The primary job is to keep people safe. Listen, the, what, what if a thousand people who love Jesus went to city center tonight and just took care of homeless people? Could we do that? Of course we could. Uh, And then uh, lastly, how is Jesus asking me to stand for his truth and justice? If it was Superman, it would include in the American way, I think is the third. Truth, justice, in the American. I think they've dropped the word America. Now it's just the way, right? So here's the question. How is Jesus asking me to stand? What are some injustices that we see in our city And what are some ways we can make the voice of the gospel heard? Let me ask it another way. How do we speak up for those who can't speak for themselves? I don't have any red-made answers for that one, but we want to pray. All right? Uh, So, Jesus, the servant king, his compassion, his concern and his willingness to speak up against the injustices of the world. That's the baby Jesus who's on the way. Amen? Uh, I'll just give you a hint. When he grows up, he's pretty awesome. Right? When he grows up, he's pretty awesome. Let me pray for us, and let's ask the Lord to, uh, to help us with these things. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you didn't just stay a sweet baby in a manger, but, Jesus, you grew up and became the servant king. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are a king like there has never been before and like there never will be again, that you are a king who has compassion for all people, that you are a king who has concern. And and Jesus, we see in the Bible that often a lot of the people you helped didn't follow you, but you were willing to, to show compassion and concern even to those who wouldn't follow you, Jesus. You're just that good. And so, Lord, we pray and ask that you would give us hearts of compassion, that you would give us hearts of concern, that, that Jesus, we could could be your hands and your feet. Jesus, you've passed the baton to us, and I pray that we, as your people, might be found faithful. Jesus, give us hearts like yours. uh, Give us thoughts like yours. And Jesus, would you move us to action that we might love others as you love them, that we might treat others as we would want to be treated. And Lord Jesus, I just want to come back to that idea of don't you remember. And as Dan begins to play, just with with our heads bowed and just in an attitude of prayer, could I just ask, is there something you're struggling with this morning? Do you need to remember You need to remember what God did for you last week. You need to remember how God provided years ago. Do you need to remember all 
that Jesus has brought you through to get you to this place. And if, it's, if, if, if that's you this morning, I would just encourage you just to, to pray to Jesus and say, Jesus, help me remember. Oh, Jesus, help me remember that you love my family. Jesus, help me to remember that you're not finished with me yet. Jesus, help me to remember that, that, that you began a good work in me and you will be faithful to complete it. Jesus, help me to remember that you will never leave me nor forsake me. Jesus, help me to remember that you separate me from my sin as the east is from the west and you cast my sin into the sea of your forgetfulness. Jesus, help me remember that he who the Son is set free is free indeed. Jesus, this Christmas season, help me remember that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, help me remember. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.